seat back in front of you and we'll get the house lights on here in just a second and uh, we'll have uh, a Bible available for you. Most of the verses should be on the screen this morning. How many of you are ready to dive into God's word today? All right, there was three of you and one of them was Seth. Thank you, Seth. How, how, how many of you are ready to dive into God's word today? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be. Let's start reading in verse number one this morning. The Bible says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. Everybody say the valley. In the valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry and he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews and tendons upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together and bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. And he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, vision in the valley. Vision in the valley. Would that be okay this morning? Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together on the Lord's Day on Sunday to celebrate you and your resurrection. God, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way through your word. God, I pray that we wouldn't get distracted by secondary things this morning or, or what is going on in our lives, but God, that we would see that, that your word directly applies to what is going on in our lives. And God, I pray that we would have a, a real understanding of this text today. God, thank you for what you did in the first service and what we believe you're going to do here in the second service. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, amen. How many of you enjoy hiking? Anybody like that? You enjoy hiking? Okay, most of you. How many of you would say, I do not enjoy hiking. Okay, a few of you, thank you for your honesty today. And uh, several years ago, our family was on vacation and we went to Moab, Utah. And in Moab, Utah, they are famous for these arches in the rocks. And, and, uh, and so our family said, let's go check out these arches. The only problem is it was about 110 degrees in Moab, Utah. And uh, uh, we did not come prepared to hike and didn't have the right gear, the right clothing. And so I kind of thought, well, we can just kind of go in the parking lot, look at the arches from a distance, get a picture and get 
get back into the air conditioning. And that was my plan. When we got there, uh, we saw some arches kind of at a distance, but everybody that was there was saying, hey, you need to take this five-minute hike up this trail and go and see this one particular arch. It's beautiful. It'll be worth it. You need to go up this trail. And I want you to know that that five-minute trail that was described to us was more of a 45-minute trail, okay? It was uh, way up into that mountain. And we were struggling. We were sweating. And uh, the kids were trying to be troopers. And I was carrying my son, Luke, because his legs didn't work anymore. And Katie was uh, carrying our, our youngest daughter, Blakely, and our oldest daughter, Liv, she was being a trooper, and she was walking, and, and Katie kept on trying to encourage her, and, and she kept on saying, Liv, you're doing great. Liv, you're doing great. Liv, you're doing great. And eventually, Liv looked at her mom and said, Mom, I don't want to be great anymore. <laughs> like, I, she was just tired of walking. She did not care about those arches anymore, just wanted to give up. You know, that day was an interesting day. It also turned out to be a source of a little bit of marital conflict between Katie and I because I found out later on that I was walking too fast and I wasn't being sensitive to the people around me. And so that's another sermon for another day. Uh, but that was a day uh, that I will definitely never forget. Uh, we were uh, in the middle of the desert. We were out of breath and we wanted to give up. And I believe those three emotions would adequately describe the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 37. They're in the middle of a valley, they're out of breath, and they want to give up. They are at a point of exasperation. And yet God would show up to them in the middle of this valley and speak to them life and speak to them hope even in the valley. And I love this text because it shows that God is still working even when we are walking through the valley. Yeah, there was a text in 1 Kings chapter number 20 where uh, the nation of Israel, years before Ezekiel, uh, was at battle with uh, the Syrian army. And the Bible says this in 1 Kings chapter 20 verse 23. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, their gods are the gods of the hills. And so they, they, they say, uh, hey, their God is powerful up in the hill. Their God is powerful up in the mountaintops when they have the high ground. And uh, that's what they were saying. But then it says this, therefore, they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And so what do the Syrian army say about the Israelites? Yeah, their God is pretty powerful if they're up in the hills, if they have the high ground. But let's get them down into the valley. Let's get them down into the plain because there we can be victorious over them. And I believe that there's a paramount principle that we have to understand today. The enemy wants nothing more than to get you down into the valley because if he can get you in the valley, he can get you vulnerable because we are always vulnerable in the valley. And I want to encourage you today, when you're walking through a difficult season, when you're walking through the valley of life and through adversity, just know that you are more susceptible to attack when you're going through that valley. And so that is not the time to let your guard down. That is the time to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to recognize the enemy wants to attack me. And so uh, they say, hey, let's get him down in the valley. But then a few verses later, it says this in verse number 28 of 1 Kings 20. And there came a man of God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who this was. This was an unnamed man of God. It was someone that didn't have the recognition. His name was not in the spotlights. Uh, but this man came, and he was concerned with doing that which was right. There came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. 
Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. And so the man of God came and said, hey, God is about to show you that he is not only the God of the mountaintop, but he is God in the valleys as well. Can I tell you today that God is still God even on your good days and even on your bad days? God is still God when you get fired from work. God is still God when you are struggling with temptation. God still loves you when you are in the midst of sin. Hey, God is still God even in the valleys of life. They said, let's get him in the valleys because there we can be victorious. But I want you to know, we might be vulnerable in the valley, but God is not. We might be vulnerable in the valley, but God is victorious in the valley. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 18, I will open the rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. See, that's what our God can do, can provide hope, can provide water, can provide fountains, even in the midst of the valleys. When we're going through a difficult season, there is hope. I will make the wilderness a pool of water in the dry land springs of water. And so we see that God is the God of the valleys. Now, we come to Ezekiel chapter 37 today. And we have to understand the context to which this book was written. This was written during the Babylonian cap cap captivity. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem, and they took captive uh, the nation of Israel. And uh, many prisoners were taken back to Babylon. One of those captives was a man named Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet who spent most of his time preaching in the streets of Babylon. And Ezekiel would preach in the streets of Babylon, and he was preaching a message of judgment for the nation of Israel because of their sin. And he was preaching about how they need to be steered towards salvation and trust the Lord. And uh, Ezekiel is an interesting case study because he was a very eccentric prophet. And uh, he did a lot of things that really turned some heads and caught the attention of the people. And he would often use dramatic illustrations when he would preach. For example, uh, one time Ezekiel was preaching and he wanted to teach the importance of mourning for your sin and, and being grieved over your sin. And so as Ezekiel was preaching and preaching on this subject, he shaved off of his beard and he shaved his entire head, uh, illustrating this point. Now, I believe today that we ought to mourn for our sin at Rock Hill. We ought to take sin seriously. But I'm personally probably going to try to find a different illustration to uh, make that point come home, right? And so Ezekiel, he shaved his head. He shaved his beard, illustrating this point. There was another time when Ezekiel was preaching, and uh, this is back in Ezekiel chapter number 5 that Ezekiel was preaching, and he was saying that the nation of Israel, because of sin, was going to be in captivity and judgment for 390 years. Well, to get the people's attention, this is what the Bible says. Uh, very vividly, the Bible gives us detail that, that the prophet Ezekiel, he got down, the Bible says, on his left side. And on his left side, he laid on the ground preaching this message. The Bible says that he laid on the ground for 390 days. And so here is Ezekiel laying down for 390 days on his left side, preaching, hey, turn back to the Lord. You need to repent of your sin. How many of you think that would have turned some heads, right? Uh, people, there's Ezekiel. He's laying on his left side again. Uh, to make it even more interesting, uh, during this message when Ezekiel was laying on his left side for 390 days, he would only eat one meal a day, and that meal was cooked over manure, and he was doing this to show the uncleanness of the nation. And so you can imagine people walking by. There's Ezekiel. He's a little crazy. There's Ezekiel. Uh, he's preaching again. And uh, you can imagine uh, that Ezekiel's ministry was turning some heads. But you know, perhaps most disheartening about Ezekiel's ministry, he was preaching and he was using these illustrations to get the attention of the people. Nobody listened. Nobody repented. Nobody turned back to the Lord. 
But Ezekiel was preaching, he was being faithful, doing what God called him to do. And I believe there's an important principle here, and that is this, that God does not call us to be faithful in order to experience the right results. God simply calls us to be faithful, and he will take care of the results. See, a lot of times we ask the question, how can I be successful? When God wants us to ask, how can I be faithful? How can I just keep on showing up, keep on serving, keep on giving, keep on doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? And so rather than always seeking, how can I be successful? How can I be faithful? Because it is required among stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. And so Ezekiel was faithfully uh, preaching this message, and nobody uh, was turning back to the Lord. And yet uh, here we are, 2,500 years later, reading the prophecy that God gave Ezekiel and seeing how it applies to our lives. See, Ezekiel might have thought that he's just wasting his time and there's no fruit in his ministry and no one was listening to him. Uh, But God had a plan and God had a purpose even when Ezekiel couldn't see it. And so God comes to Ezekiel now in chapter 37 and he's going to give Ezekiel this, uh, this profound vision. And you might not know much about Ezekiel's ministry, but perhaps you've heard of this vision of the valley of the dry bones. It's Ezekiel's most famous vision. And God was, uh, through this vision, he was giving Ezekiel and the nation of Israel some hope, a a glimmer of hope and encouragement. This was a vision that had to do with purpose and a vision that had to do with uh, new breath in their lungs and new life and restoration and revival. And so God was speaking hope into this situation. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, Speaking of the Old Testament and narratives just like this one in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 37, whatever was written aforetime were written for our learning that, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so if you're looking for hope today or need a little bit of hope today or you need a little bit of encouragement today, I believe that we can find it uh, through this passage together. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us three reasons why we can have hope even in the midst of the valley. Uh, Three reasons that we can have hope in the midst of the valley. Number one is this. God does not shy away from desolate places. God does not shy away from desolate places. Let's pick up the text today in verse number one. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to keep it open and ready as we go back to these verses. And uh, they'll be on the screen as well. Notice verse number one. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel, And carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And so this was a vision. This was not a physical uh, transaction. This was a a vision that Ezekiel was having. And set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And so God transports Ezekiel via a vision. And he sets him down in this valley that the Bible describes as having full of dry bones. Verse number two. And he caused me to pass by them. Roundabout, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. This was a very desolate place. Now, we know later on in context that the bones represented the people of Israel. It represented the scattered and dispersed nation of Israel. They were in Babylonian captivity at this time, and they had been in captivity for about 10 years, and they were dispersed. They were scattered. They thought there was no hope of us going back to our homeland. We're never going to make it back to Jerusalem. We're going to have to live here apart from our friends, familiarity, our family. We are in a desolate place. This was a dark place, a depressing place. I mean, just imagine a valley filled with dry bones. This was discouraging. In fact, in the Bible, often a valley is symbolic of depression. And I thought about that, and I thought today in our culture, we are battling on many new fronts depression and discouragement. 
If you read statistics, you can look them up today. Uh, if you read statistics on depression in the United States, the number is at an all-time high. In fact, upwards of 400% since 1987. And so depression is at an all-time high, and I think it's important for us to pause and consider this. God wanted Ezekiel to pause and consider this. He put him in the midst of the valley, and he said, I want you to look around. Verse number two, he says, I had to go round about, and I observed all of this that was taking place. And, and so here they are in the midst of this discouraging, depressing valley, and yet it was here in this desolate place that God wanted to bring new life. It was here in this desolate place, this dry place, this depressing place, this discouraging place that God wanted to speak and to breathe new life because this is how God often works. If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you, uh, let's turn over to Exodus chapter 3 for a moment. If you have a Bible, let's, uh, let's use them a little bit today and uh, exercise our page-turning skills. And let's go to uh, uh, Exodus chapter number 3. The verse will also be on the screen. Exodus 3, verse number 1. The Bible says this, now Moses kept the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And so here's Moses, he's doing the most mundane task that you can think of out in the middle of the desert, watching sheep. The Bible says this, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And so he is in the middle of the backside of the desert, in the middle of a desolate place. Not only was Moses in a, in a place that was physically desolate, at this time in Moses' life, if you remember, he was at a place that he was spiritually desolate. If you remember, Moses uh, just previously had went and killed a person. Sometimes we think about Bible characters that are larger than life, and man, they have it put together. Don't ever forget, Moses was a murderer. And Moses was on the run for a crime that he committed in hiding in the backside of the desert. Talk about a spiritually desolate place. And the Bible says this, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of a fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with the fire, and the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. And Moses kind of gives us a little commentary on his life. He said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. By the way, God honors those who take a closer look. Can I encourage you today, if God's working in your life, if God's speaking in your life, don't ignore that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Take a closer look. Moses was walking by one day. He saw something. What is that? And he turned aside to see. He took a closer look, and God spoke to him. When God saw that he turned aside to see, uh, the Bible says this. God called out to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, I believe all of us today are interested in some capacity in holy ground. I think all of us would want to see God do something miraculous, and we want to see God do something special in our lives, and we're interested in holy ground. But what I want you to see today is holy ground is often found in the backside of the desert. Holy ground is often found in desolate places. You know, God is not confined to working in a certain location. In fact, in rabbinical literature, uh, they had a name for God that they would often use for him, and it was simply this, the place. The place. 
Because God is here, God is there, God is everywhere. I'm thankful today that we can worship God wherever we want, wherever we are, because we worship an omnipresent God. Hey, you can worship God in your car, you can worship God in your cubicle, uh, you can worship God wherever you want. Aren't you thankful today in the omnipresence of our God? He is the place. Now, this is good news if you feel as though you're in a desolate place. Because a desolate place does not mean that God has abandoned you. It does not mean that God has forsaken you. In fact, you are in a prime condition for God to work in your life because God does not shy away from desolate places. And so here is Ezekiel. God brings him in a vision to this valley filled with dry bones, this depressing place. But yet it's here where God wants to do something special. Now, notice what happens uh, next in the text in verse number three. Everybody still with me today? Notice verse three. And he said unto me, son of man, so God's going to ask Ezekiel this really fascinating question. Notice what he says. He said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel, look around. Can these bones live? It's interesting that God did not ask Ezekiel what he saw. He asked Ezekiel, do you have vision to see beyond what you currently see? He didn't say, are these bones living? He said, can these bones live? A lot of times we are hyper-concentrated on what is right in front of us. If you look at your life today, you might see a messy house. You might see dysfunctional relationships. You might see drama in the family. uh, You might see disobedient children. But God is not asking you to identify what is right in front of you. God is asking if you have vision to see beyond what you currently see. It's called walking by faith, not by sight. You say, you don't understand my situation. You don't know how bad my home life is. You don't know how bad my relationships are. Can these bones live? Can God do the miraculous in your situation? Do you have vision to see beyond what you currently see? See, one of the greatest advantages, one of the greatest byproducts of walking through the valley is you can leave with a renewed vision. When you walk through the valley, when you walk through the I will say it again, when you walk through the valley, you can leave with a renewed vision. See, when you're going through a season of adversity, when you're walking through a season of trial, you might say, I'm hurting like you could never imagine. I'm going through something that I don't know if I fully comprehend, but God is showing me some things that I've never seen before. I'm walking through a struggle that I can't possibly endure on my own, but I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. Like the psalmist said, open up the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open up my eyes so that I can see the wondrous things out of thy law. See, God wants to teach us something walking through the valley. Do we have vision to see beyond what we currently see? Now, Ezekiel's response is also interesting. Let's notice it in verse 3. It says this. And he said unto me, son of man... Can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, thou knowest. God, you know. That was, that was a pretty safe, guarded answer from Ezekiel, right? He's like, hmm, I don't want to get the wrong. God, you know. Sometimes my son Luke will do this. You know, uh, uh, the other day I was telling my son Luke he needed to apologize to his sister. And I said, Luke, what do you have to say to your sister? And Luke looked at me and said, you know. <laughs> no, no, we need to be a little more specific, Luke. Uh, not just you know. Here, Ezekiel says, God, you know. Now, Ezekiel was smart enough to not deny the ability and the power of God. Ezekiel wasn't going to say, no, these bones can't live. But Ezekiel also didn't have enough faith to say, yes, they can live. How often are we the exact same way? We're smart enough to not deny the ability of God. 
We know God is capable. We know he is all-powerful. But often we do not have enough faith to believe him for the impossible. Because you don't know my situation. You don't know how hard it is. Uh, I've tried before. I've tried time and time and time again. But can these bones live? God was asking him, do you believe me? Are, Are you focusing on the size of your problem or are you focusing on the size of your God? Can these bones live? And so God is challenging Ezekiel to retrain his perspective, to develop vision even in the midst of the valley. Now, this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. Where there is revelation, there must be responsibility. Wherever there is revelation, there must be responsibility. Whenever God gives us a revelation, whenever we see the revelation from God's word and we hear God's word, there is always responsibility attached to that revelation. Now, I want you to see how it plays out in Ezekiel's vision. Notice it in verse number four. And again, he said unto me, prophesy, preach upon these bones and say to them, to who? The bones? How many would say that would be an awkward thing to do, Right? Preach to the bones. Ezekiel's like, all right. And so verse four, and again, he said to me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What does he want him to say? Verse five, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews, the tendons, the ligaments upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And and so God commands Ezekiel to speak to these uh, bones and to speak this message of resurrection, to speak this message of revival. Tell these bones to listen to the word of the Lord, and they are going to live again. So let's see what Ezekiel does. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. In other words, he said, so I submitted, I obeyed, I followed through, I did what God asked me to do. Why? Because whenever there is a revelation, there must be responsibility. A lot of times we have not experienced revival. We have not experienced new breath in our lungs because we have not moved past the place of convenience into the place of compliance. Where we say, okay, God, I understand this is a little bit awkward preaching to dry bones. God, I understand this is a little bit uncomfortable saying I'm sorry to this person. I understand this is going to stretch my faith to start giving uh, and being generous with my income. God, I understand this is a little bit difficult, but I'm coming to the place of submission where it's not my will, but thine be done. Ezekiel said, so I prophesied. I did what God wanted me to do. At some point in life, we have to stop. uh, We have to move beyond the place of stagnation and into the place of activity. This is why the book of Acts is called the book of Acts. It's not the book of ideas or the book of theories or the book of suggestions. It's the book of Acts because at some point, God wants us to do something about what it is we have heard, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And so God told Ezekiel, hey, I want you to prophesy to these bones. And Ezekiel said, okay, I wonder today, what is God asking you to do? In what area of your life is God asking you to take that next step? Is it something that you are still pondering? Or is it something that you are ready to move to action, to move to activity? Charles Finney said this, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. You want to experience revival in your life? Start obeying the commands of the Lord. Now, uh, he said, okay, so I did it. Now notice verse number eight. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. 
but there was no breath in them. So, so this was a really interesting uh, scene for Ezekiel to see in his vision. He starts preaching to the dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, and all the muscles start to come together, the ligaments, the tendons, the skin uh, starts to come on uh, these people. Uh, when I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord to show us an instant replay of this, what this looked like, right? They, they all came together. And uh, the end of verse number eight says something interesting. Notice the end of verse number eight. But there was no breath in them. In other words, now they looked as though they were alive. They took on bodily form. They were standing there, but there was no breath in them. Can I encourage you today in life to be very careful if everything looks put together on the outside, but on the inside there is no vitality. When we get caught going through the motions of religious behavior modification, and we have what the Bible calls a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. There's nothing on the inside. It's my heart's desire that it would never be said about Rock Hill that, man, they look good and polished from the outside, but upon closer examination, there's no life, there's no breath, there's no vitality. And so we see this was a partial miracle. He prophesied, he preached the word of the Lord, and they came together, something amazing happened, but there was no breath in them. So notice what happens next. Verse number nine. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews, or or verse number nine, then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Now, we've talked about this in this series, but the Hebrew word for wind, spirit, and breath are interchangeable. And so when God tells Ezekiel to call upon the wind, when he is saying, ask the wind to breathe into them, what God is telling Ezekiel to do is to call out and cry out to the Holy Spirit. He said, if you want to see these bones live and want breath to come into them, what they need is the spirit of God. They need the power of God. And so what happens is Ezekiel prophesies the word of the Lord. He preaches the scripture, but it's when he preaches the scripture empowered by the spirit that life change happened. And so today, if you are interested in revival, how many of you would say, I'm interested at some level in revival? Anybody like that? Restoration, new beginnings, uh, to breathe again. If you are interested in revival, what we learn from Ezekiel is we need two things. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we need to be submitted to the Word of God, because that's the two things, those are the two things that Ezekiel did. He preached the Word of the Lord, and then he called out to the winds, to the Spirit of God, to breathe new life into them. I was reading not too long ago, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote uh, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, Thomas Jefferson was was a fan of the teachings of Jesus, but not all of Scripture. Thomas Jefferson said this, The most sublime and benevolent code of morals which has ever been offered to man uh, is the Bible. So he says this is a great uh, moral code book. But Thomas Jefferson was also a child of the Enlightenment, which means that he denied the miraculous. He denied things that were supernatural. And so while he looked at the Bible, he thought, man, these are some really great things to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I agree with that. And he liked the Bible as a moral book or a moral compass but he didn't like the supernatural things. And so this is a true story. This is what Thomas Jefferson did. He took scissors and he went to his Bible and he found the place where the virgin birth is written and he cut out that section. And then he went and found all the scriptures that had to do with the resurrection and he cut out those sections of scripture and he cut out those things which were supernatural. Now, uh, it's even today, it's a famous Bible called the Jefferson Bible. I think we have a picture of it this morning. Now, I think most of us would recognize today, most of us would say, Probably shouldn't do that. How many of you are on the same page? Like, I'm not going to just cut out the things that I disagree with. Now, we might not take scissors 
to a physical Bible. But often what we do is we avoid verses that make us uncomfortable. We ignore verses that we don't comprehend. See, the word of God is not like a spiritual buffet that is just laid out before us that we get to pick and choose what we want. Whatever is more palatable to me, that's what I'm going to accept. No, the Bible tells us that we are to preach the whole counsel of God's word. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. I'm thankful today that we have a more sure word of prophecy. And if you're interested in revival, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you need to be focused on the word of God. It was when, I, it was when Ezekiel preached the Bible and called upon the spirit that new life came into those dry bones and so we need both the Bible says in first Peter 1 23 being born again you want to be born again new life experience new breath in your lungs born into the family of God not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever now notice verse number 10 so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And I love this picture, because when God breathed new life into these dry bones, they stood up, the Bible says, as an army, which means God gave them new life, and God put breath in their lungs for a purpose. God doesn't just bring us revival or put wind in your sails and put breath in your lungs just so that you can live a life of comfort and convenience. God breathes new life into you for a purpose. And the Bible says that we have been enlisted in the fight. We have been called to fight the good fight. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy says that we are soldiers engaged in warfare. Can I tell you today that God has saved us on purpose for a purpose. And as the church, we are to rise up as an exceeding great army and to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We are called to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. We are on mission. We are on assignment. We are not just here biding time. God has given us a purpose. And as a soldier in an army, we're to go out and fight the good fight. And so they stood up as an exceeding great army because God had a purpose for the nation of Israel. God has a purpose for us today. This leads us to our third and final thought. Do you have one more in you this morning? Number three is this. It's not over until God says it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. Notice verse number 11. The Bible says this. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, this is important for the interpretation of the text because God says, here's the meaning. Okay, Ezekiel, you've had this vision. What does it mean? He said, these dry bones represent Israel. Okay, uh, these dry bones were the people of Israel. Verse 11. Behold... They say, they say, everybody say, they say, who says Israel? Yeah, the bone, the, uh, Israel was saying this, the dry bones. They say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Uh, in other words, we were, we were divided. We, we were cut off from our nation, from our people. All hope is lost. That's what they were saying. God says, this is what they say, can I encourage you today? Be very careful in your life if you're always listening to what they say. Be very careful in life if you are quick to tune in to your favorite podcast, to your favorite social media platform, to your favorite news channel, and you're always listening to what they say. Because often what they say is very different than what God says. 
And I want you to know today that the multitudes often get it wrong. The crowds often get it wrong. And so God was telling Ezekiel, hey, they say this, that they're uh, saying this. And God was saying, hey, be very careful about who you listen to. Can I tell you in your life and in mine, there's always going to be people that tell you that it can't be done. There's always going to be people that are going to discourage you and say, all hope is lost. We've been cut off. Hey, you might as well just give up. But I want you to know today, it's not over until God says it's over. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be discouragers. There's always going to be people that label you. There's always going to be people that say, it doesn't make sense for you to give 10%. It doesn't make sense for you to show up and to skip the camping trip to go to church. It doesn't make sense for you to every Thursday night or every Tuesday night go to a small group. Hey, you don't have time for that. There's always going to be people that discourage you in the work of the Lord. And that is why it is paramount that we tune out the voices of the world and tune into the voice of God. They're always going to have something to say. In the 1870s, there was a church conference that was taking place at the Westfield College in Illinois. And there was the president of the college. He stood up and he was encouraging the crowd. And he said, I'm excited about what's taking place in our nation, in our country. I'm looking forward to the inventions and the developments that are taking place. And one of the things that he mentioned was the possibility of human flight. He said, I I believe that soon we're going to see human flight. And there was a pastor that was sitting in that conference that day that got upset at that and actually accused the president of the college of being a heretic. And he said, in the Bible, human flight or flight is only reserved for the angels. And so that's heresy to say that. He got very upset. That pastor that said that happened to have two sons, Wilbur and Orville Wright, who completed the first successful human flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina in 1903. There's always gonna be people in your life that say it can't be done. There's always gonna be people that discourage you and say, hey, there's no hope. You might as well give up. Our nation's too far gone. Things are looking too bleak. It's too depressing. It's too dark. God looked at Ezekiel and said, that's what they are saying. Let me tell you what I am saying. Let's see in verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, watch this phrase, and performed it, saith the Lord. God says, not only am I speaking it into existence, I will be the one to accomplish it. I will be the one to bring it to fruition. And this is good news for anyone today that feels inadequate. This is good news for anyone that says, I don't know if I have it in me. I'm out of breath. I don't think I can move on. I don't think I can can do all the things that God wants me to do. I don't think I can move to obedience and to submission. God says, I will do it. I'll perform it. The Bible says in the New Testament, he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is not about us and how great we are. This is all about the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do and what we can bring to the table and how smart and wise and great we are. It's about how great our God is and his grace working through us. God says, I will do it. I will perform it. You know, it's interesting, the word Sabbath, the Hebrew word Shabbat, means to cease or, watch this, to catch one's breath. Shabbat, to 
and catch one's breath. See, when we rest, when we're not filled with anxiety and we're not constantly going to and fro trying to figure it all out on our own, when we actually rest, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the sovereignty of God because when we're resting, we're not working, which means when we're resting, we're trusting that God is working. So when we catch our breath, what we're saying is, okay, God's in control, I'm not. He will perform it. He will bring it to pass. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, verse number five, even when we were dead in sins, when we were dead in our sins, not just discouraged in our sins, not just depressed in our sins, when we were dead in our sins, no life, just like those dry bones, no vitality, no life, hath quickened us, the word quickened means to make alive, He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. This verse is so paramount for us to understand today that apart from Jesus Christ, we're dead in our sins. There's no life. Now, please hear me today. I'm almost done, but please hear me in the room and online because many people feel as though they have the right answers, the right experiences, and on the outside, they look pretty good. So many people think, I I'm doing okay. Will I go to heaven when I die? Yes, because I do this and because I've said this and I've gone here and I've taken that class and I've been baptized here and I've done this. And on the outside, you look impressive, but just like verse eight says, there is no breath in them. Because you can look impressive and look good from the outside, but it's not about the outside. It's about the spirit of God dwelling on you from the inside. And the only way for the Spirit of God to dwell in you from the inside is to accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and he will give us life, new breath in our lungs, life everlasting. And so today, if you're here, if you're watching online, and you've never prayed to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, today can be that day for you where you are passed from death to life. You might be experiencing a dry season, a desolate season. Uh, there might be a death represented. But I want you to know that the gospel brings new life and allows us to breathe again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.